What can be very, very helpful is actually writing down the worst possible case scenario. Like, what is the worst possible case scenario? And let's avoid, you know, some horrendous, you know, natural disaster or something like that. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have a very young guest today, because normally when we talk about most memorable journeys and the 80s, my guests have to be a certain age, but it doesn't have to be this way. Today, I have a young lady who, when I spoke to her the first time, I felt like I was speaking to a younger version of myself because she is only 25, but she has already done a lot of stuff in her life. We're going to talk about everything she's done. I will just start off by saying that the first thing she did was being a ballerina, but then things changed. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Jemima Cooper. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to be here finally. And just, um, yeah, I'm excited where this conversation will take us. We've had great conversations outside this podcast, and I'm sure we'll have some great ones in it too. Okay, let's impress the people who are listening then today. <laughs> So tell me, you are a ballerina. You 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 like dancing as a young girl? Absolutely. So it was all I ever knew, really. One of my first memories is dancing. So I started at four years old, um, as many ballerinas do, and it was completely self-driven. I um, had read Angelina Ballerina, which is a, a children's book um, about a, a mouse that does dancing, and I fell in love with the concept and wouldn't stop nattering about it until my mum called the local dance school and got me involved. And pretty much from the get-go, it was kind of a duck to water, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. And by about seven years old, I got spotted by the Royal Ballet in England uh, and started being kind of pushed forward at quite a skyrocket rate through the systems. By nine, I was dancing about 14 hours a week and going to Birmingham, going to London to participate in different activations and different groups and things. And then it just kind of went from there. Uh, I went off to a dance school and yeah, the whole the whole future was set. I had one one kind of goal, one identity, one real focus of where I was kind of heading. And and then what happened? So um, it was from the ages of kind of like four till twelve. It was really, really just everything. And then actually, when I went off to this dance school, I was pushed incredibly hard. So I was put up a year. I was sent off to boarding school where you, you dance for six hours a day and then you did a little bit of school and that was a focus and you did that six days a week. And there was a huge amount of pressure on me. So I had actually got a scholarship to the school, which was something that they hadn't given before. They were fighting over me. Basically, there were three schools in England, dance schools that were all wanted me to attend. Basically, I was born, I kind of I came out the perfect dancer, even down to kind of the size of my neck, the length of my neck, the position of my arms and all these ridiculous things that they used to look at. Um, and so they were all wanting me because they knew that I had the body that could be molded to whatever they wanted it to be. Long story short, my at the same time as going off to that dance school, my uh, my parents got divorced, my family kind of fell apart and I fell apart within it because the level of stress I was trying to deal with, with a broken family home, being away from the first time at 12 years old, going through all the teenage things, you know, it was too much. I stepped out, but I was so determined to continue. So I kept on pushing. Um, and then at that stage, unfortunately, my mentor, my dance coach, 
also became critically ill and could no longer teach me. So I was then left in a state where family life was kind of going crazy. I was going through all sorts of confusions and not understanding kind of who and where I was in the world, going through all that kind of teenage, the teenage changes whilst living half a life as an adult being pushed forward into this very elite dancing world. And then half of me being, you know, still the, the 12 year old girl that needed, you know, needed a hug now and then and try and navigate it all. But I, I, I pushed and I pushed. And unfortunately at uh, about 15 years old, I became critically ill. I ended up in hospital given the weekend to to live really they sat my mom down and sat me down and said you know the next the next 48 hours are really touch and go and I spent a month in hospital with machines attached to me uh, and then actually came through (laughs) as I'm here I, I came through pushed through and did quite a speedy recovery from the condition I had remarkably so in in many cases I kind of defied quite a lot of things but I always and still believe that it was this drive to get back to to dancing and I I was like not going to lose to anything including this so I pushed forward I did get delayed in my my progression as a dancer but I continued and I pushed through and at 19 after coming over lots of road buttons lots of challenges lots of struggles on my path I finally got a professional contract at a company so it was not the Royal Ballet where I'd intended to go. It was not the, you know, Paris Opera Ballet. It wasn't these grand stages, but it was a contract. And at the time, having been in and out of hospitals for five years previous, being delayed, I mean, at 19, you're pretty much a grandma in ballet. Um, so I was really getting quite a lot against me, but I got this professional contract with the idea that I would spend a year refining my skill and then go off to America and join probably New York City Ballet or Joffrey Company, which is another dance company from the States and, you know, go from there. You know, it sounds like, you know, this was, you know, meant to happen and everything was um, in alignment, but, and I'd finally got to my, my goals, you know, or, or starting that journey. But the thing is, once you've been through an experience like that and you've spent five years fighting for yourself, for your life, for you know, all the things that come around that you have a very different perspective. And one day standing in class, being yelled at by this Russian ballet master who was pretty much everything you see and hear in the kind of horror stories of ballet, it was pretty much summed up in a in a in a company. This guy was screaming down our ears bellowing all these commands at us. And I was standing there in the mirror, holding my arms out. And I saw all the other girls in that studio looking at them and just making sure they were just so and just adjusting their arms or tweaking their smile. And I was looking at the tree that I could see in the reflection, which was outside the window. There was this like acute focus where I was just, I just saw the tree and I just, I saw the girls around me. And something just hit me inside. It's very, very difficult to explain, but it was just like, I am not meant to be here. There is so much more to give. And I care so much more about the world outside and what's going on much broader than this very self-focused, self-obsessive really world that I was in. And I realized I could not be a part 
of that, even though unfortunately the company I was in was just horrific, but it's not always the case. But I just had this, I don't know, calling or, or enlightenment inside that I was meant for something more than this studio. And I turned to the Russian ballet master. I said what I thought of what he was doing to his dancers and pretty much that I don't, you know, I, I thought he was effectively killing a lot of his dancers because they were just, we were dancing eight hours a day and not even allowed to eat or drink in, in the studio. It was just horrendous. Um, I told him what was what. I walked out, closed the door, walked down, walked out into a very dark, very wet night, which is really quite, um, you know, it really does set the scene, but it was, it was the way. A scene in a movie. Yeah, totally. It was literally like a movie. And I walked down into the London streets at kind of eight or nine at night going, holy moly, or a few more expletives. I have no idea what I'm doing now, who I am now. What have I just done? Was that the right decision? And just feeling this massive void of kind of, yeah, it was just very empty. It was very lonely. I had no idea what was going to happen, but I did. I walked away. Didn't you only feel, didn't you also feel free? Didn't you also feel kind of relief? Because obviously this whole thing made you ill. It's the stress that made you ill. Well, yes and no. It was a pile up of things. The uh, It wasn't ballet specifically. Um, unfortunately, I had lots of kind of various different life happenings going on. It was a perfect storm of physical conditions, kind of overload of stress family meltdowns, uh, losing a, a mentor that was pretty much, she was like a mother to me since I'd been kind of, uh, since a very, very young age. So it was a perfect storm that contributed to be, becoming unwell, but I was having had that experience. I had such a, a value for my body and my life. And I was like, wow, like I have, I'm so lucky to still be here. I'm so lucky to still be here when many people, are not. And even my friends that I'd, I'd made in, in hospitals and things like that were, were not with us. But did I feel free? And that's interesting. I don't think I felt free till about 10 years after. I don't think it's actually until, you know, the last couple of years that I felt that freedom or that liberation. I didn't feel free, actually. And this is, I suppose, something quite truthful. You know, maybe maybe it's not the right thing to say, but I honestly... I didn't. I felt heavy. I felt, I I just felt black. Like this massive, all I could see was, I don't know. I don't feel. And that started quite a lot of um, pushing against any of those feelings and trying to fill it in with doing and being other things and just grasping onto other identities and all sorts of things for quite some time after, I guess. I remember, I think you were telling me, did you go to Canada? Did you travel after that? Ah, so when I was, so this was before, actually, when I was 16. So when I just, I'd had this kind of remarkable, remarkable recovery and everyone was like, you know, this shouldn't have happened. I, I really shouldn't have survived what I did in many occasions. But uh, after that, I felt this I did feel free at that point. I felt this new lease of life in many ways. And I have a, an aunt that lives in Vancouver. It was my first long haul travel. Incredible. Just proving that I could go from hospital bed to traveling across the world on my own as a 16 year old and exploring and 
experiencing all these amazing things. And Vancouver is the most vibrant city. It's so cool. And there's so many quirky people. And at that stage of my life, having been through what I did, I had no idea who, what and why I was, what I wanted to do. And I love the quirkiness because I, I could relate to many kind of, I was experimenting in who I wanted to become. And so that was actually before, but it was okay. one of those things that I think about. And one of the main reasons why I didn't want to, or I felt so trapped in, in the dancing scenario and I wanted more was because of the sacrifices you'd make. As a dancer, you have about four days off a year and you don't mm-hmm. even get those if you're lucky. And I couldn't travel and I'd had this experience of travel and I loved it. I loved it. Um, I wanted to do more. <laughs> Did you realize then that, you know, thinking of, oh my God, four days a year or, or, or such little time a year, maybe that also had something to do with the fact that you weren't 100% sure that you wanted to be that? Because there are many different factors in your head that play a role for you to take a decision because you took quite a drastic decision there when you walked out. I think it's really interesting in hindsight that you can see these elements very clearly. At the time, I, it was this this emotional calling or this emotional like enlightenment or whatever you call it I didn't I hadn't made sense of any of it I just knew there was no other option I really knew there was there was no other option I went with my heart and I've always been a very a very emotional person I'm a dancer right so you you embody you embody music you embody a story and and it comes forward in emotion so I am a very emotional person And I went on that. I mean, yes, in hindsight, I can see all the tick boxes Mm -hmm. and and the sacrifices I was making and the loss of things I loved in life for the gain of this one thing was a constant battle for me and still is. Um, You know, Elizabeth and I were just having a conversation just before this podcast that I'm currently looking at moving countries and there's there's always pluses and minuses of of everything and I want to do it all I want to go I want to travel the world I want to do all the things and and you should should you know I'm always I was just telling to my daughter last night from the age of 18 until the age of 31 no actually 34 I had never lived anywhere longer than a year and a half that sounds very similar to me. I mean, yes, I've moved away now, but I'm I'm definitely like, yeah, I do like to move around the place. One thing I do really feel though is I like one thing that grounds me. Something has to be, something has constant. to be constant, and everything constant. else can move. And it's interesting yeah, because yeah. you know my mentor, my dance coach, was that. So I could deal with the family stuff. I could deal with going to ballet school then coming back but when that one constant left or that constant stopped then I struggled and it's the same kind of now like I um I traveled you know quite a lot I I travel every month and I'm all over the place and I live out of bags and my work changes and I start new business ventures and all sorts of things are all over the place or recently I've made some some changes in my kind of athleticism and and so much changes. And I love that. I search the change. Uh, like Tim Ferriss said, it's not happiness and sadness, it's excitement or boredom. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's really, really true. I love the excitement. I love the different things. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, 
happiness is a big word anyway. Happiness is, uh, is, is, is nobody is always happy. That's not possible. But uh, yeah, boredom is, boredom is sad. Now you live in Spain, you live in Mallorca, yeah. but you're originally from the UK. How did you end up in Mallorca? Why did you go to, why, why, why Spain? <laughs> I really wish I had a better reason for this. I really should, um, you know, craft some stories or something. There is really no reason I ended up in Spain. Really, I shouldn't have ended up in Spain. Like it was just by chance. I was in fact meant to move to Boulder, Colorado in March 2020. So on the 8th of March 2020, my flight was booked. My visa application was in process. I was going to go out to Boulder, figure out where to live. Whilst that was going on, I was going to, um, and I kind of outstayed my three months in America. I'd come back. One thing Elizabeth has cut out, I ended up as an endurance triathlete, but that's a story for another time. So I was going to come back travel around Europe, race in the European season. And then September, 2020, move to Boulder and start my life there. And obviously March 8th, 2020, that flight never happened. Yeah. Because on March 11th, the Corona became a pandemic because I flew to Argentina on that day. Big mistake. But yeah. go on. <laughs> so yeah, well, you know, and I was, I wonder, you know, how different life would have been, but I'd given up my flat. I'd get, you know, packed everything away. Everything was set up for America. So I ended up back with my mom, back with my family over the pandemic, which is, you know, a blessing and a, and a, a struggle as many will relate to. But I, at the time also, I was like, okay, well, my plan A was to go and race elite level triathlon. And, and I was a director for a sports marketing company. So I was going to take that forwards. Races didn't happen. And I don't really like sitting still. So I was like, okay, I can't race this year. What can I do? Um, well, let's go diving into business, my other kind of interest. And I scaled a marketing agency very, very effectively, very, very quickly, too quickly and too effectively that by eight months in, I was burnt to an absolute crisp and everything was crumbling together with, you know, the stress of the pandemic, being at home when you're 25 or 20, whatever, or 23. And I was like, I have to get out of this. I had also, I think, been really, really struggling on knowing what I wanted. And therefore I was listening to other people's shoulds and musts. I'd wanted to move abroad since I was 18. After that trip to Canada, when I was 16, I applied for residency in Canada or the kind of student visa kind of deal until my parents said that maybe finishing my A-levels was a better idea and put an end to that. Um, I'd try, I'd try to go to like Thailand and do all these things, but every time people or people around me, their worries with, oh, you can't do that. What if you got ill? You know, what if, you know, insurance was difficult, all of these things. And I was embodying other people's fears for me. And I got to this point where going, I can't live someone else's life anymore. I'm now over the dance. I That happened. I'm not fully fit. You don't, you know, you don't retire at 19, you give 16 years of your life to something, walk away unscathed. It, and I thought I had, and it, it doesn't work that way. But I got to this point, again, I didn't really have the answer, but I knew what I was in wasn't right. I was also faced by the fact that it was, you know, the Brexit uh, situation. So if I didn't get into Europe, I wasn't going to get into Europe. And I couldn't get to America because we weren't allowed in. Mm -hmm. And so my boss, I was working with America, goes, 
Yeah, I know you want to move. Well, a couple of our athletes go training in this place called Mallorca. Have you ever, you know, heard of that, been there? No, I've never been to Spain before. <laughs> no idea about Mallorca, but the pictures look nice. And four days later, I had found somewhere to stay and I'd booked a flight. I, uh, yeah, rocked up in Mallorca. My first flight, it was all a bit complicated. My first flight was cancelled and I ended up by getting here on the 18th of December, which left me four working days before Brexit deadline to get my documents in. Mid-pandemic, they just went into another lockdown in Spain, which was pretty fierce. And I rocked up, didn't know anyone, didn't know the island, couldn't speak a word of Spanish. I was pretty good at French, but it wasn't going to help me here. Um, and yeah, and started started my next phase. I think that is that, you know, that that's another thing that reminds me because when I was a tour guide today, it's there, you don't need tour guides anymore, but this is, this would be something that you should do because you like to move around. You like to, to uh, apply for papers. You like to, uh, to do different things. It was so different because you were saying before you were living other people's fears and you were listening to other people and you were reading and doing these things. This is actually the disadvantage of knowing too much. Today, we know too much. Yeah. When I was young, when I was your age, we knew nothing. And we just went somewhere. We had, I, I remember I used to have no idea where I yeah. was going. Yeah. And, um, and I'm still alive, you know, but, but because there are so many people knowing so many things and you have so much access to so much knowledge that you at the end know that it's not going to work. Totally. I 100% believe and lots of people are like, oh, you know, I wish I wish I had the, the confidence to do what you've done or like, I think it's so cool that you've done it. And I'm like, I don't think it's cool. I just, I just did it because at the end of the day, it's a set of skills. You know, I'd overcome a life-threatening illness. I'd moved out of Bali and started a new life. I'd started several companies that I had no idea, you know, what to do when I first started my, you know, no one knows this stuff. I didn't know what to do when I'd walked out of that ballet school, but I figured it out, you know. At the end of the day, I think any of these things, when you get yourself in tough situations, you go, what resources do I have within me? Even if I have no resources outside of me, you know, what resources do I have within me to solve this problem? Um, and that was, that came against me time and time again, going through this process of, of moving to Spain, everything went wrong. My, everything I owned got lost in the customs and got stuck in Barcelona for six months. So I was living out of literally like a rucksack for six months and we couldn't even buy anything. And there weren't any deliveries because it was COVID, you know, it was a, like, it was just, a real nightmare. They spelt my name wrong on my documents. So I nearly didn't get my driving license. It's just thing after thing. But it's like, you get to the point where it's just, it's just another situation that you just overcome. And I think that's one of the great things about traveling. And the more I travel, the more I think it reinforces the ability to be adaptable, the ability to think on your feet, the ability to just use what you got and use what you know, and actually realize that, hey, I have no idea what this this says or what this policeman is trying to tell me right now, but you learn ways to figure it out. That I think is a really great skill. Yeah. And you were saying before resources within you, and this is also why what you are doing, you could be doing anywhere. I mean, you don't have to be in Spain. You could, it, it, it's because we were saying before we started the conversation, the modern world is digital nomad, isn't it? The work you do does not depend on a place. And I think that's quite a fun thing. That's a good thing to do. So what would you recommend somebody who is afraid to do what you did, but still would want to do it? 
just do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as simple as that. Like I get literally on the daily, I get two or three messages from people going, oh, I wish I had, you know, some sun. All I want is, all oh, I wish I could move abroad. And I'm going to stop wishing about it. Just make it happen. You know, I, I didn't have a plan. I have no reason to be in Spain. And I still don't have a reason to be in Spain, really, like you said. And I just know that life's very, very short. Life is very, very short. And lots of people really wait for a absolute smash in the face, game-changing tragedy before they actually step up and realize that this is not what I meant to be doing, or I want more, or, or even it doesn't have to be grandiose. Maybe they just want to, you know, go on a one-week holiday to Morocco because that's what they've always wanted to do. Like, it doesn't have to be life-changing, game-changing, community-changing, but they never do it until they have to. They go through a divorce, they get a, an illness, someone close to them dies. Stop waiting for, you know, the worst to happen. Mm-hmm. Just get on and, and do it. The other thing I would also say is if you're someone that is kind of naturally a little bit more risk averse and a bit scared about, you know, what could happen, what can be very, very helpful is actually writing down the worst possible case scenario. Like what is the worst possible case scenario? And let's avoid, you know, some horrendous, you know, natural disaster or something like that. You're going to be screwed, so you wouldn't worry about it. You know that not that kind of worst case, but something like I use up all my money, or my my wallet gets lost, or you know something like this. And actually, once you've broken down what the real worst case scenario is, you can pretty much see that okay, if that happened, well then I'd have to get a loan from you know this or this person would maybe lend me something, or you know I'd have to get a short term job in a I don't know a cafe or something. You can work out your path out of that. And actually, once you make peace with what could be the worst case scenario, you know, my flight gets canceled, this gets canceled, you know, actually, most of the time, our brains are just telling us fibs. Actually, the worst case isn't as bad as you think. That can just be really, really helpful looking at it from that perspective and flipping the script and knowing that you could get out of that situation, um, even if it was non-ideal. Yeah, and everything is better than the worst case. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it's up. <laughs> so, but you know, you were saying um, some people wait or or only react when something really bad happens. Some people never do. Yeah. They just spend their whole lives dreaming about something or thinking about something. And there is a book and I keep talking about this book and I still don't know the name, but you know, the things that people regret on their deathbed, yeah. most of the things that people regret on their deathbed is not the things that they have done. It's the things that they Thank haven't you. done. Absolutely. So, so true. And, you know, actually that goes back to the, in the, the heart of this conversation, which was one of the big things that I realized was I was looking out the window at the tree outside because that to me represented all the things I was missing out on. And all that I cared about was getting out into that air and into the wind and feeling the wind on my face and experiencing things that actually I wasn't doing from the confinements of that studio. And I think many people do it the same. They feel trapped in their village or their, their town or even their home country. Uh, and they just don't know what they don't know. And I've, by, you know, I've not traveled the world like I want to yet. I do absolutely intend to go, you know, as far and as broad and as wide and get all those perspectives that I can. But you just got to put yourself out there. You just got to put yourself out there. And it is a bug, as you well know. Like once you start traveling and you realize the airports aren't scary, you know, it's just 
you, it catches the bug. It's my favorite place in the whole world. Airports, <laughs> because I actually start this pot, the introduction of my podcast says, my favorite smell is airplane kerosene. <laughs> and, uh, and my favorite noise is, is hearing the, the uh, champagne cork pop in business class, because once you get to my age, you, tr- you like to travel business class. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, now let's talk a little bit about business, because um, since we have you here, we might as well use you a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you help people set up companies or you help people improve their companies when they are in trouble? Yeah. So what I do, I kind of um, do a few things. My main focus is in helping businesses scale. So I've been in business development. Uh, It starts off in the sports space, but now it's broadening out. Um, But I help businesses grow. But I would also say what I do is I don't just build businesses. I really focus on building the entrepreneur as well. Um, So mindset is a huge, huge component for me as it is for everyone that wants to be anything other than ordinary. You know, if they're going to level up anything in their life, they need to level up their mindset as well. So that's huge to me. Um, So I really focus on, on scaling business sustainably. Also, I would say that You know, I've been an athlete all my life and I've read, run several companies lots of the time at the same time. At the moment, I'm consulting and I've got two other companies as well as another one in process. So I have a lot going on. I like to be able to have the flexibility to work wherever I want to at the times I want to. So what I really help business owners do is take complex life situations and create businesses that don't mean they have to sacrifice any of it. They can still live their life and make, you know, kick-ass income. They can still live their life and make massive impact. Um, and so that's really, really key for me as well. There are two things in uh, in life in general, and I think in business especially, is consistency and discipline. And I think being an athlete helps a great deal with those things. I think it does. I mean, there's definite overlap between entrepreneurs and and athletes. Many, many things. The the ability to bounce back from failure, the ability to take on criticism, and the ability to deal with high-stress situation, whether that's mental stress, you know, physical stress, or as an entrepreneur, it feels like both a lot of the time. Absolutely. That consistency is, is really key, but more so, I don't really think about being consistent because it's like, Sometimes that can be hard and we can put a lot of judgment on ourselves. Oh, you know, I missed this because life happened or, you know, I didn't stay consistent in my marketing plan or whatever. So I really focus on flipping that and rather going, you know, how do we make sure you cut out half an hour every day for marketing? I go, how do we make this marketing sustainable for you? So does that mean we need to shift your mindset around what you're doing? Because actually you will stay consistent if you love it. I mean, if someone told you to eat ice cream every day for seven days, you'd stay consistent because ice cream's amazing, right? But whereas, you know, if someone said, you know, you, you want to take this disgusting vitamin drink for seven days, you would push yourself to do it. But by day 14, you wouldn't continue that trend. So it's like, how can we make a sustainable model, a sustainable system? How can we build a business that you love so that consistency doesn't really have to be a problem? I always talk um, to my clients about this, this kind of phrase or philosophy. And it's like, what 
couple of things, one to three things can you do that makes everything else unimportant, unnecessary or obsolete? So what can you focus in on, which changes the game for everything? So if you focus on creating a marketing model or a sales system that you totally love, that takes care of the consistency. That takes care of the of the staying, you know, dedicated in your business because you you want to do it. Um, so that's something that I bring in as well. Yeah, absolutely. Drawing from things in my sport, you know, where can we focus the quality rather than the quantity and all those things, but also so you can just have freedom to do what you want <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's like turning it into a way that you do the things that you like. But th- does it ever happen to you that you actually come across people and you realize that they're not really made for this? I think there are. And I think you have to be really honest. Like, not everyone is an entrepreneur and not everyone is an entrepreneur in the way they see it. And even within being an entrepreneur, there's different aspects of being an entrepreneur. You can be the visionary, which is the kind of traditional entrepreneur that you see on the screen and, you know, they're coming up with business ideas and things, but actually a visionary, the kind of CEO role, that's not someone that can can operate the business because there's also operators and there's people that actually make the day-to-day happen and check the finances and actually check that this big idea can even happen from a legal point of view, for example. And then when we have people that are, you know, running the business, we also have scalers because people that run the business and people that uh, like envision the business are not people that can scale your business and your scaler in your business is normally someone from the outside or someone that has had a lot of experience that can look down in your business and they can see it from a different perspective so there's elements of being an entrepreneur where you actually need to relinquish control and go I'm not the person for this you know I'm not the best person for this role and bring other people in but there's also a case of going actually, I'm not an entrepreneur, maybe I'm an intrapreneur. So can I put myself in a company that gives me security, you know, gives me some um, other benefits, but I can still let that creative spark, which sparked my idea for business anyway, but can I repurpose that in another way? And that's also something I would say I I can help people with on occasion, actually helping them them guide and navigate. And from my own experiences of finding my truth and my calling and going through that experience of identity shifts, and that is something that I can speak quite truly to as well. Yeah, because as you said, not everybody is cut out to be an entrepreneur. And I think it's also important to say it once in a while that it's not necessary. You are still a fine person if you are working somewhere and if you are employed somewhere. Because sometimes, you know, we make it sound like you're an idiot if you work for somebody. Yeah, no, and it's not it's not a tool, you know, and also someone has to work for the entrepreneurs, right? Otherwise, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, but I think, yeah, I think it's we have to give people a little credit. And I think the most important thing in life is to be content and if you are totally stressed out if you're a skull entrepreneur I don't see where the the being content is so um, it's good to think about really what we do and how we do it and why we do it and when and I think that's why it's good to speak to somebody like you once in a while and find out you know what this is really about and how it can be better or maybe how maybe we should stop it. I 100% agree. And one thing that I have learned in my journey is no one matters more than you and your truth. Like really, 
because people will tell you to do everything and you can become any identity you want. After I left ballet, I then became an elite triathlete and I was a triathlete first. And then I became, you know, this marketing person. I was all about marketing. And then I was just like, actually, I don't want to be a label. I just want to be me and I can do it my way. There's a million ways to make a million pounds. There's a million ways to travel the world. There's a million kind of identities you can have. You can you can be Spanish or Swiss or, or German. You can become anything you want to be. No one can tell you how to live your life. Like, no one can tell you how to live your life. And you really can change and chop and shift. And, you know, I look back on what, what I've done and no one would have, you know, wrote a plan for me to be a triathlete after falling out of, of dance or no one would have written up that I'd ended in Spain. It happened. And I allow myself to fall into that. So I would just say that whatever you want to do, just make it happen and trust that if it wasn't the, you know, the right happening, that it doesn't matter. It's not permanent either. You can just chop and change and, you know, and then make another, another future, another plan of action. As long as you are staying true to yourself and you focus more than anything on actually not worrying about a label and just calling a spade a spade and just letting yourself be who you want to be, then, you know, this you is beautiful. I mean, this, this is, this would be a good end, but we're not ending yet because well, the time is flying, but um, I just want to, come back a little bit you you about Switzerland you you're thinking maybe of relocating to Switzerland and you like Switzerland and Switzerland is my home so I like to hear it <laughs> I like to hear it. Uh, so yes what's, what's special about Switzerland do you know I wish I had the answer to that but again I'm gonna just call it out as being the emotion like I feel something I, I think it's the Alps because I felt the same when I was in Austria there's something very special about the Swiss and the Austrian Alps that just makes me feel more complete than anything. I've always been a mountain goat. I've always been an outdoorsy girl. I was that kind of ballerina that wore pink in dance class and totted around on point shoes and then went out and tackled sheep at the weekends because he had a little farm in the countryside. So that's always been part of me and a real pull for, for the mountains specifically. When I'm in Switzerland, I feel... It's almost like my world slows down. It's like I can take a breath and my brain, as you can probably hear, works very, very fast all the time. And in Switzerland, it's just, there's a sense of calm and this sense of knowing and this sense of kind of wholeness. And I think also realizing that you and your problems are really quite small. Because when you're faced up with those gigantic mountains and you fly over, I mean, the flight from Mallorca to Switzerland Mm. is just, divine especially when it's sunny and you can see I know exactly that route yes oh it's just beautiful and you fly over and you're just like holy moly this this is just exquisite and I think all of that together is just so amazing I also think hey I'm super ambitious I'm an athlete which means I like to win I like to win big and that's kind of the only option I don't really see you know failure as an option I like going bigger I like pushing myself and to me the cities and the culture in Switzerland is very forwards moving it's very you know it's very fast it's kind of dynamic it's very kind of high level and that to me suggests it's an environment that will help me level up as well I think your environment is so so key to determining who you become how you act and where you end up really 
And I think, you know, being surrounded with an environment that is pushing forwards, pushing for more. In some cases, I know in, in other ways, Switzerland is very, you know, very, not, not a lot happens and everything is very comfortable. But I, I think in the cities and in Zurich, where I go, it's very kind of, yeah, push, push, push. Let, let's see how far we can, we, can, we can go here. And I think that's really awesome for this stage of my career as well. And um, see if I can level up my game. <laughs> That would be great fun. And I want, I remember, I don't remember who it was, but you know, I was once, we were once on a, on a, on a mountain and staying the night. And somebody said, you know, when you are so high up in the Swiss Alps, you feel so much closer to God. Maybe that's one, Maybe. Of the, one way to yeah, explain absolutely, it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Or delirious so, from the altitude um, at that point, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever it is or wherever he is, or if, if he exists or what, what, but um, yeah. So I really hope that you will make it to Switzerland. Thank you. And uh, I also know that wherever you are, you will always make the best of it because um, even though you say the environment is important, you were also mentioning that it's the inner qualities. It's, it's what you make with what you have. And um I am very, very confident that you are going to go very, very far. Thank you. Thank you so much for spending time on Most Memorable Journeys. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for giving such a lovely space to be able to share a bit of my story. Wonderful. Thank you, Jemima. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.